welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Welcome back from your trip, although uh, you did uh, join us virtually last week. That's right. <laughs> you, were, uh, you were down south? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, in Washington, um, in that area. <clears throat> okay, but not, not far enough to get warm. No, by no means. No, okay. no. In fact, we came back early because it was a terrible snowstorm uh, predicted. I don't know how bad it got down oh, there. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so yeah. I only saw one show. Okay. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, I was uh, thinking that maybe this week, there's not a ton of stuff happening in uh, in us seeing new shows. Uh, Peter, Michael, and I have seen a, a few things this week, but after uh, we do our reviews, we're going to talk about some of uh, some albums of note or cast recordings of note or theater-related recordings of note. So uh, stick around for that as well. Peter, as you mentioned, you were down south in the D.C. area, and you got to see the uh, national tour of The Prom. That was at the uh, Kennedy Center in Eisenhower? That's right, yes. Um, <clears throat> not there anymore. It's uh, in Baltimore as we speak. And um, then it's going to St. Louis, and a bunch of other cities. And I'm very glad it's going to be taking to um, all these cities like, well, especially like Schenectady um, and Wallingford, Connecticut, um, where you don't really, I think, see shows that often. I could be wrong, but um, but I don't hear of them going there very much often. I mean, yes, it's going to be going to Seattle and San Francisco and Dallas and Los Angeles. And I'm glad that all that is going to happen as the tour is going to continue at least a schedule to to the middle of September. And I hope it does, um, because I really believe this is a show worth seeing. Understand that when it was on Broadway, I saw it three times. Understand that I saw the movie, of course. Uh, and so I have a great affection for this show. And I really think that uh, more people should see it because I think it does a lot of good. As, as many of you know, it has to do with a bunch of Broadway people who have a disastrous opening night and are accused of being narcissists. They don't like it, and they figure that they're going to um, eradicate that label by going and helping this young girl in uh, Indiana, a high school student who wanted to go to the prom with her girlfriend, and they wouldn't let her. And um, they're going to take up this cause. And while they start out being uh, out for themselves, that doesn't happen as continue to happen as time goes on. That's what's wonderful about the show. Um, certainly we know that there's no people like show people. And this, this musical really uh, suggests that's quite true because they become so emotionally involved. In fact, uh, Barry Glickman, who's the actor um, who has been the star of this failed musical, a musical of Eleanor Roosevelt's life, um, <laughs> which actually did get written by Cryer and Ford, but uh, never got on. Psy uh, Coleman uh, did one too. Anyway, so uh, they uh, Barry Glickman uh, finds that this girl has uh, Emma has a similar life story to his because um, her parents literally threw her out. Uh, she had to go live with her grandmother. We never meet the grandparents, um, but she had to go live with them. And uh, grandparents tend to be more indulgent, needless to say, than parents. And 
yeah, he had a similar experience where his parents threw him out. And so he really comes to identify with her and he'll really, as he proves, do anything for her. But so will the others, even though they don't have that backstory. So it's a lovely, lovely story. And um, it, it never fails to make me cry. And this was um, another time where that happened. Um, the cast is very, very good. Uh, and I was delighted to see uh, so many talented and enthusiastic people doing what they um, were supposed to do and do it extraordinarily well. For those who felt that Brooke Shasmanskis was over the top as uh, Barry Glickman, I don't think you're going to find that with Patrick Wetzel. Uh, he, he, he certainly, there's no question that he's playing a gay man um, in the, you should pardon the expression, stereotypical way in many ways. I mean, that's how he's built. And I remember a lot of my friends saying um, they resented that because they really felt that that's a gay of a different era. Um, I, I know people like Barry Glickman and uh, and delighted to, by the way. I'm very glad uh, because they're, uh, <laughs> I have a good time with them every time I see them and I look forward to seeing them. So so Patrick Wetzel um, is not quite uh, as flamboyant, uh, though um, people coming for the first time, I think, will say that he's flamboyant. But um, those of us who know um, knew what uh, Brooks Ashmanskis did may find very differently. Courtney Ballon is uh, very much in the, in the Beth level mode as uh, the star of Eleanor, who, um, who certainly is less inclined to be as gracious as some of the others. Um, but um, she comes around as well, needless to say. Bud Weber is playing Trent Oliver, uh, who's uh, the Juilliard graduate who doesn't want anybody to forget it. But more to the point, um, he has a wonderful number um, about loving thy neighbor, where he points out that in the Bible, there are a lot of things that people casually overlook because they don't want to follow those. Um, <clears throat> a, a number of details which certainly seem to say the least dated. Um, and um, But he also has, to me, what is the best line in the show, when he brings up a drama program and one of the high schoolers say, we don't have a drama program to which he says, well, that explains your lack of empathy. And I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot to be said for that. And yeah, um, yeah, (laughs) so, so uh, under those circumstances, um, that to me is one of the most profound messages in the show, because we all know that um, if uh, a football team, a high school football team needs new decals on their helmets, um, well, there goes the budget for the spring musical. So um, Sinclair Mitchell is wonderful as Mr. Hawkins. Now, what's really great about him is that character and the way he plays it is the fact that he is squarely on the side of um, Emma's having the right to go to the prom and uh, to have a prom. Um, He is being very fair. We're not even necessarily sure where he's coming from, from his own um, point of view, but we can have a hint from the vantage point that he uh, is certainly a big theater goer. So he has picked up that empathy along the way. So that's a nice little subtle message there. Um, So um, (laughs) terrific. Uh, The sets are pretty identical to what happened on Broadway and um, not that they're lavish. I don't want to um, make anybody think that they are. They certainly aren't, but they do the job. And um, so if you haven't seen the prom and if you have seen the prom, I uh, please, um, you know, if, <laughs> if you're in any of these cities, if really uh, Nashville, um, <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, it's going to be there. Don't miss it. I, I think it will warm your heart, especially with uh, Matthew Scarrow's beautiful song. I only want to dance with you. And when it, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. And Chad Begelin's lyrics, terrific. The book he wrote with um, 
with Bob Martin of Drowsy Chaperone fame. Really, the lines are so smart and so pungent. And for that matter, for that matter, let's also point out that um, the Bob Martin um, contributions and the Chad Begulin contributions come from an idea by Jack Fertel, who recently retired uh, from his many jobs uh, that he had on Broadway for many, many years. And, um, and you know, Jack Fertel should be an inspiration, too, because when I was going to shows at Harvard University many, many, many moons ago, um, Jack Fertel's name was in the program a lot for doing props. And look what happened, you know. So for those of you out there who have what seem to be menial jobs in the theater, um, that doesn't mean that you're going to have menial jobs for the rest of your lives. And again, seems menial jobs. Props, God knows, are important and let one not be on the stage and a lot of chaos can ensue. So obviously, Jack was good at his job and was good at other jobs, too. But he was the one who said to Bob Martin and Chad Beglin, um, you know, I think there's a musical here about a girl who can't go to the high school prom. Why don't you take some uh, take it and do something with it? And they certainly did. And I'm very glad they did. And um, should I be <laughs> in uh, Kansas City or Worcester, Massachusetts at the right time in the right place? As uh, Ella Peterson says in Bells Are Ringing, I'm going back. Mm-hmm. I have a very specific question about this production. Uh, did they restore the F word to the most hilarious punchline that I've heard on Broadway in years? I don't recall an F word. Tell me what you mean. Well, uh, <laughs> the um, the uh, what is the character's name? The one played by Nicole Kidman in the in the film. So is um, oh Angie is that that yeah, yeah yeah she's talking with oh yes yes of yeah. course yes still there it's still there yeah oh good yeah <laughs> because they 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 kept the line but they took out the f word in the film you know because I guess it was for mm-hmm. Netflix or whatever and yeah 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 and I just felt it ruined it so I'm really glad it's back <laughs> it's funny you say that because I just watched a movie called um, Man with Two Faces um, based on the George S Kaufman Alexander Wolcott play they collaborated um on a play called the dark tower but when it came to uh hollywood they called the man with two faces and i thought oh wow kaufman wilcott this is going to be hilarious not at all it's a very serious story (laughs) and it deals with crime and um will the murderer get away with it and i get the impression from what i read that he did get away with it on Broadway, but in Hollywood, he didn't. He got caught. You know, they really want to send that message out that um, everybody who commits a crime is, is going to get a, a caught, even though it's one of those crimes that we really feel that the bad guy got what he deserved. Even so, you know, in Hollywood, you got to pay the price. So um, so it's interesting you say that. So, um, mm. yeah. Mm, so it's still happening even with Netflix. Yeah. The F word is still in that line. Mm-hmm. Thanks, <laughs> Peter. A few things. Uh, you have sold two tickets. Uh, Greg Christensen has said he hadn't planned to see it until uh, until he heard your review just now. He, Greg is in our chat room here. Oh, how nice! Uh, so uh, that's one thing. How is the audience? Uh, was it full, half? It. Mm-hmm. What was well, it? Half full, full, or? Well, there was there's an irony attached here. Um, uh, There was a problem with my tickets. The left hand didn't tell what the right hand was doing. So at the last minute, they uh, seriously, I mean, like at 758, 759, they finally um, uh, what they called over various uh, uh, big poobahs from the organization. And somebody recognized me and um, uh, my name. And so, oh, yes, uh, by all means. 
So uh, I was in the first row of um, the box seats, the, which is essentially the mezzanine. So I don't know exactly how full the orchestra was, but let's say what I could see from you know A or AAA to let's say P was full. So uh, I cannot speak for anything beyond those seats, but uh, it looked it looked full to me, and um, I was delighted to see so many people, and they adored it. Um, you could really tell because the applause uh, was far more lengthy uh, for numbers than it usually whatever the national average is. Um, it was far more lengthy. And so I was delighted to see people who were as moved as I. I'm glad that you mentioned Jack Vertel, um, who had just uh, uh, retired from his his uh, position Uh uh, he was he was at City Center for many many years, mm -hmm. and then he was at Jujamson. He just retired from Jujamson, having done virtually everything in the organization. I pulled him up on IBDB and I started scrolling through his credits and I'm still scrolling, haven't reached the bottom uh -huh. yet. Oh, sure. Uh -huh. you know, Somebody I mean, like that. I yeah. mean, he... Uh, yeah. uh, I wonder if he has the most credits on IBDB or one of the most credits on right? IBDB. But, yeah. I mean, it's uh, just... It's certainly of contemporary days, yeah. It yeah. is just uh, very deep. We, uh, now that he has retired, uh, I have to... Uh, see if I can try once again to get him on to to chat with us. That would be a lot of fun to do. So um, next up, uh, I was asked by the press reps to go back and see Girl from the North Country again, and uh -huh. uh, I, and I did this week. And I have to say that I was kind of hesitant in saying that I'm not sure I need to go see Girl from the North Country again, but I was like. Okay, I'm I'm available, so let me go and see it. Uh, I really liked it upon I do too. about reseeing it again. It's just a quite quite a cast. Uh, I knew what to expect with the music and the uh, and, and the rethinking of the Dylan melodies, right, right. Uh, things like that. So I I I guess my my second uh, third viewing of this now. It, uh, I'm a fan now. I'm a mm. fan of of this show, and mm. and I wonder if it's a, it's an acquired taste like um, uh, like uh, passion was on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Because first couple of times I saw passion, I was like, "Why is everybody <laughs> excited about this show?" I'm I'm not a fan of this show, but mm -hmm. uh, after I guess especially with passion, it was the cast recording that that got me uh -huh. uh, into the show. But girl from the North Country uh, just temporarily question mark wrapped up its uh run on broadway and says they're going to be back uh this summer uh we'll have to see what happens there the, the belasco is uh being taken oh, by yeah. mm -hmm. by, uh, by um mockingbird mockingbird yeah, mockingbird, yeah. Mm -hmm. so um leaving the mockingbird theater open well we'll have to see what happens there so uh girl from the north country uh is there a up uh, a cast album for sale out there yet for yeah. it? Yeah. There is? Yeah. So I'm mm -hmm. going to have to get on that and uh, and check that out. And we're going to talk about cast albums in a, in a few minutes. But um, let's move into Whisper House at 59 East 59. Peter, you got to see that. What do you think about Whisper House? Well, uh, it's a very strange show, um, I, I have to say. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean bad, but it is strange because we do get the impression that this album 
that Duncan Sheik um, made um, <laughs> really didn't inherently, not inherently, had um, dramatic possibilities. And what we have here, we're in a lighthouse in Maine, and it's certainly from many, 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 many moons ago. We're talking about uh, during the World War II era. And um, for some reason, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I really tried hard to figure it out, too. Um, I'm not quite sure why we have two ghosts hanging around, and, but they do the bulk of the singing. And I guess that's what the album is. I don't know the album, but um, I guess the songs um, that we hear sung are the album songs. But the thing is, rarely do you hear any of the characters themselves sing. Very rarely. Um, certainly the music and, and, and the lyrics. Um, Kyle Jarrow worked on the lyrics uh, with Duncan Sheik. Duncan Sheik did the music. Kyle Jarrow did the book. And um, so most of the time you hear these two ghosts singing and they have comments on what's going on. And you know, that's perfectly fine to hear them comment. But it's not a book musical as we know it. And of course, we are in an area of people looking for new uh, forms. And uh, I guess this qualifies anyway. So what's going on here? Well, um, there's a little boy named Christopher, and um, he's having a tough time of it because his father uh, um, died in World War II, and um, his his mother just um, couldn't handle it. And so she's in an institution now. So what's going to happen to this little boy? Nicely played by Wyatt Service, by the way. What's going to happen to him? Well, luckily, he has an aunt who runs this lighthouse. So uh, he's going to go live there. And um, she's not a terribly warm person. And at one point he tells her off. And I expected her to really fly off the handle of this young boy who, who really says something like, you are the oddest woman I ever met. Now, how many adults would really um, answer back uh, in kind, but not escalate the action? I mean, most adults would definitely go become furious at that uh, might even hit him in an era where people routinely hit kids. Um, no, she doesn't escalate it. She, she answers back much the same way that he does, but she's, we can tell that she's really a good person, not just for taking him in, but because she doesn't make it worse. She doesn't make the situation worse. And I think it's a very important part of the show. I think it's very skillful that they did that. Okay. Um, again, not a woman, fuzzy lady but a fair lady. And, um, and I think that's really an important part of the show. Well, I, I think you're going to know where this show is going when you hear that she is, um, she uh, has uh, a boarder named Mr. Yashu hero. So where's this story going to go? I mean, you know, it, that, that's mm -hmm. the problem with it. Um, but it's very well written. And when the boy uh, figures that he must do his patriotic duty, in um, letting the local sheriff know that there's a Japanese guy living here. And here's the evidence. Here's the evidence that he's a spy. He's got a camera. That's it. That's <laughs> it. But the whole point is the xenophobia in this country um, became so intense. And we have to have sympathy, of course, for people wondering about uh, where a, a person's loyalties were, um, are. Sure, sure, we have to worry about that. You know, but the little boy thinks he is really, he says, I'm going to get a medal. I'm going to get a medal for turning this guy in. Um, and, and so you really see the unfairness. And again, while 
so many of you may be saying out there, well, what, so what else is new? I'll grant you that's part of it. But the writing by Kyle Jarrow in the book is so s- strong and so good on character that um, I was glad to be there. So uh, there's a lot more worth here than many might assume, even though um, you see what's coming uh, from a mile away. Um, so uh, maybe this is not uh, mandatory theater going, but um, for those who have tickets and for those who may have been discouraged by some reviews, I'd so go in with a more open mind. Um, and especially because uh, Samantha Mathis is so very good as the aunt and James Yegashi is so good as um, Mr. Yashu Hero. And for that matter, Jeb Brown uh, playing the sheriff uh, who would like to be fair, but these are tough times. So you see there's a lot of um, the characterization here is what makes this seemingly familiar plot more interesting than it would at first glance. So I, I, I liked a lot of Whisper House. So Whisper House is being produced by the civilians, which we're seeing the civilians get more and more into uh, producing commercial type of works. Is, uh-huh. is, is that uh, an accurate statement, do you think? I don't know. I don't know very much about them. I do see the name bandied about here and there, but um, I, I don't really know. So uh, I'll have a link to that in the in the show notes. Uh, at fifty nine fifty nine says Whisper House parentheses two thousand twenty two. Was there a previous production of Whisper House? Did you know about? Um, I know that it was done in uh, California. Um, I think San Diego, and um, um, I, I I think I heard Chicago had it too, but hmm. uh, I don't know anything more than that. And, and that's just what rings a bell. I'm not saying I'm right, uh, but that's what rings a bell. Okay. So, uh, all right. So, Michael, last week you talked about uh, the upcoming uh, show at 54 Below, uh, uh, sort of a tribute to Liza Minnelli's work. So, And you got a chance to see it, so tell us about it. Yes, 54 Sings Liza on Friday night, um, produced and hosted by Scott Siegel. And in tribute to, you know, one of our faves who uh, was profiled last last weekend, right, on uh, CBS mm-hmm. Sunday yeah. morning with Michael Feinstein. Uh, so it was really fun to be there. It's always fun to celebrate Liza. And it was a really good cast. Um, Scott had, first of all, he had Ron Abel as his musical director. And Ron, I think, is still pretty much based in L.A., but he's here a lot, it seems to me. Uh, playing for various shows and so it's always great to see him because he's he's fantastic uh but then the cast was was also really good uh scott had jeremy benton uh who was in 42nd street and so uh he did uh, a couple of numbers that had tap in them which you don't often see at 54 below so that was great really fun uh and then uh hunter ryan Herdlicka. Uh, mm, from a little nice night guy. music. I mm. uh, hadn't, hadn't really seen him for quite some time. I think the last time I saw him was when he played Mordred in uh, a touring production of that scaled down version of Camelot. And that was several years ago. So it was fun to see him back. Uh, and then Scott, uh, the rest of the people were equally great. Uh, he has this, he's found this really phenomenal woman named Leon Marie Dobbs, who first of all is, 
drop dead gorgeous. Uh, but she also has a phenomenal set of pipes, uh, uh, basically a belter. Uh, but I think she, uh, she, you know, she's very versatile as to mm-hmm. what she can sing. And she's so good that uh, he gave her both uh, the, the title song from Cabaret and New York, New York. Uh, and she uh, did one at the very beginning and then one towards the end. So that was that was really, really wonderful. Uh, and then another person in the cast was Albert Nelthrop, who uh, I had known previously because he's a, a, also a fellow alumnus of Wagner College, uh, where I went many years ago, and he was in the same class as the uh, the Drinkwater Brothers. So that was a very talented group uh, that they had there at that time. They also had Emma Pittman, I, I think, in the same class or around the same time. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't know, you know, but it was just luck, but they had a lot of really great people going to Wagner College at once, and now they're all out. Uh, making their way into theater, um, you know, even at this difficult time. Uh, so Albert did two uh, numbers. He did Come Rain or Come Shine. Uh, that was his 11 o'clock number, and he did a really great job with that. But the most um, fascinating thing that he did for me was he sang Maybe This Time, mm. which uh, in brief, the history of that song was it was originally written by Cantor and Ebb for Liza Minnelli, and then later inserted in the film version of Cabaret because it fits uh, the character mm-hmm. so perfectly mm-hmm. and the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't like a square peg in a round hole thing at all. Uh, but he, but Albert's, he's the first person I saw who did this. He sang it in an almost an angry and very ah. hurt, hurt way as yeah. if, well, maybe this time I'll be lucky, but I really don't, I don't think, think so. so. That's great. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's certainly not the only way to do it, uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it really it just illuminated the song for me. And, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. and I and I saw him afterwards and I said, you know, I know these types of shows usually have very little rehearsal. I said, um, how did that come about? I said, did you? He said, oh, well, you know, Ron and I just worked it up, you know, in, in one rehearsal one day. And I said, oh, well, you know, I mean, it, I almost thought maybe he had had the idea sometime before or or maybe Ron did. I don't know. But whatever. Uh, on very short notice, they they both gave an incredible performance, a very unique performance of maybe this time. And I'll certainly never forget it. Uh, and then, um, you know, the, the star of the evening was Christine Petty, who uh, <laughs> I, I've seen her so often. And I om- almost feel like I've uh, I o- almost sometimes feel like I've seen her do everything. But then she continually comes up to, with something new. Uh, and she did uh, this hilarious thing that was uh, ABBA songs in the style of Candor and Ebb. Uh, a- a- and she performed them <laughs> as Liza. Oh, first of all, I neglected to mention she was introduced as Liza. Uh-huh. God introduced <laughs> her as, as Liza and she came out and, and did the whole thing with the patter. And then she went into this hysterical uh, medley of ABBA songs in the style of Candor and Ebb. Uh, and I guess that was in her trunk somewhere, but I've certainly never heard her do that before. <laughs> I would have remembered it. Um, so that was phenomenal. And then she did Ring Them Bells, mm, um, which is a great showcase. And 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 the world goes round, uh, which was and she was the last basically the last 
more or less the last 15 minutes of the show and she really brought it home so i was very glad to be there at 54 and it was a uh, nice big house i'm i'm happy to report so who knows maybe the uh maybe finally you know uh things will start to get better uh, as this Omicron or Omicron, however you say it, uh, if it continues to abate and we don't get something new to plague us. Mm-hmm. So uh, to reflect on something earlier, I just looked it up. I found an email from Karen Greco that talked about Whisper House in 2020. It was supposed to start on March 12, 2020. So oh, maybe wow. maybe it existed on the 5090s59 website previously. I also found some reviews for Whisper House out in California in 2010. Uh, and Is it San Diego? I don't know. Okay, all right. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, what did Tony say? In San Diego, yeah. Tony okay. Janicki said that he saw Whisper House in Chicago okay, in yeah. February 2020. So maybe that I was the one that, I, I, yeah. yeah. I remember Chicago. Yeah. So, yeah. March 12, 2020 was, I believe, the night the before yeah. every, yep. every yeah. di- everything closed yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. That explains uh, some of it. <laughs> some of what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought maybe this morning we would talk about, uh, you know, two or three albums mm-hmm. that uh, Peter and Michael want to uh, discuss a little bit. So, Michael, why don't we start with you? What, what is the first album that you'd like to discuss mm-hmm. this morning? Well, I did finally get the soundtrack of the new West Side Story. And actually, it's the... Uh, it's the first CD that I've bought in <laughs> years because <laughs> usually now I, I, I get everything digitally. But in this case, I thought, well, West Side Story is so special. I actually asked for this as a Christmas gift and I got it. So, <laughs> mm. uh, so I've had it uh, since then. And it's just fantastic. Uh, um, I, I mean, I've seen the film twice, so I, I was already familiar with how the songs were treated, but it's not the same as being able to listen to them over and over again. It's a very, very full uh, CD, as you might imagine. Um, It's even got, uh, it does have that uh, version of the uh, Puerto Rican national anthem that the sharks sing Uh, at the beginning. And so I guess that's the only non-Bernstein music on it, Uh, but it's nice to have that. And um, the, you know, I love the cast and I love the the way that the score is treated uh, as conducted by Gustavo Dudamel with apparently both the Los Angeles and the New York Philharmonic uh, in, for various tracks, mostly New York, but some, some of it Los Angeles. And I think that was mainly because of the uh, pandemic. But anyway, uh, yeah, I love the cast. I love the, the way that the, some of the songs have been re-envisioned, uh, Although that's not as evident on the CD because that's, well, you know, it's, it's because it's not in context, but still I, I love all that. And, uh, and one uh, notable thing is, you know, I kind of uh, would assume that um, uh, technical quality, sound quality, uh, uh, recording technology has not improved for quite some years uh, ever since really the digital era came in and they started to ref- refine that uh and yet 
I would say the sound quality on this CD is better than anything I've ever heard. Mm. Uh, the orchestra just sounds absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And I would say it's worth buying if only for that. But on top of that, I really do love the performances of Rachel Zegler and Ansel Elgord and uh, Mike Feist and, and the rest and David Alvarez and the rest of the cast. So I would, I would buy this. And now, uh, Another reason I wanted to get it in physical CD form is I, I think I own almost every other recording <laughs> of West Side Story on CD uh, and several on LP because I've been collecting LPs again recently. Um, so now I have, I think, about eight of them, eight CDs of West Side Story stacked up mm-hmm. uh, in my CD section. Um, and I'm really, really glad to add this one to it. I think that West Side Story might have been uh the uh, the recording and also the film uh might have been almost the perfect storm for uh artists because they basically had 2 years to refine it and keep oh, working yeah. on it and keep working on it because they were waiting for the the release of the of the movie which was delayed by the pandemic right so uh maybe maybe what you're hearing is 2 years of hard work by so many so many people to make it just perfect yeah, although sometimes that can work the other way and things get fussed over too much, you know, yeah, but I, I sure. see your point. Yeah, it really it just I couldn't believe how great it sounds. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the uh, uh, the uh, Peter and Michael remind me the the line from Six Degrees of Separation about the Kandinsky uh, when oh. uh, they were like, well, you know, when uh, who's the father in uh, Six Degrees? He uh he has, he, said, uh, uh, he has a very uh, lofty name. It's a name one doesn't associate Flan, with people. Flan, Flan, there we Flan. Have Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. And he said he's he has that uh, fever dream, and he says uh, to the that his child's uh, first grade teacher, how, "How all these children are are brilliant? How do you how do you teach them to be so brilliant?" And she says, "I I know when to take the painting away from them." Hmm. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So maybe that's the same thing in the studio. You know, sometimes you just have to, more work is maybe not better. Yeah, so, indeed. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Greg Christensen says in the chat room that he's seen uh, Westside six times. Wow. wow. So, yeah. He beat me by four. Yeah. <laughs> but you can catch up, Michael. I'm very glad that it's it's getting lots of recognition for awards. Um, yeah. Maybe that will. I, I, I'm so sad that it didn't do well at the box office. And yeah, me too. I, I think, think that it. A, I think that it's got a long, long life, much longer than it, yeah, much longer than like a Spider Man. Oh sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I always used to say that, and I probably said it here before. You know, back in the day, uh, you know, there would be a Peter Frampton album. Hmm. Uh, that would sell millions and you know then there would be a cast album that would be released and have a fraction of the of the sales and then i and but and people would talk about that and i'd say yes but you know every time a high school or Mm -hmm. a college or a Mm -hmm. community theater you know every time they do Mm -hmm. that show uh, those people are going to buy that recording and Mm -hmm. and uh and now i do realize that record companies like movie companies you know it's like that song from Willy Wonka, I want it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, mm-hmm. they want for, you know, they, they just really want the money right away. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I can understand that, mm-hmm. but it's so, mm-hmm. 
short-sighted, you know. Uh, so I, I think that I, I agree with you, James. I think that West Side Story will definitely be in that category. I don't know how long it's going to take it to, you know, to catch up uh, and, you know, for people to really uh, to uh, recognize how great it is and for lots of people to start downloading it and renting it. Is it available yet uh, for streaming? Probably not. Not that I know of. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. think so. Yeah, uh, Spielberg yeah, is uh, still pretty powerful, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> Rob Johnston, uh, Rob Johnston's our our specialist here in the chat room. Uh, Rob, is West Side Story available for streaming somewhere yet? Probably not. Yet. not. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. yet. Thanks, yeah. Rob. Well, uh, it, bringing up the fact about uh, whenever there's a high school community theater production, etc., records get sold, uh, recordings get sold. Um, I'll bring up Anne of Green Gables. Now, mm. Anne of Green Gables uh, was a 1965 musical that was done in Charlottetown and Prince Edward Island in mm. Canada. Yeah. Very far away. And aside from the pandemic years, of course, it has been running every summer there since 1965. In 1969, it got a London production, which got a cast album. And um, it didn't run all that. I, it ran 300 performances in, in England, I believe. And, you know, while that today is theatrical chump change, the fact remains that that's, that was a good run back then. And it got an album. And now Masterworks Broadway is re-releasing it. And I think it has everything to do with the fact that um, it still gets done in Charlottetown uh, each and every uh, summer. So uh, this year it's going to be running from June to September. Uh, if you want to get up there, I will admit that I did um, check and see how long it would take me to get up there and i'm afraid it's 13 hours and nine minutes according to mm. google maps so i may pass it by especially since i saw it in new hampshire a few years ago they did it there but that again leads into michael's point about when a show gets done uh, people buy the cast album so um so you can look forward to this and um it's uh, it's a very pleasant album and it has uh, a wonderful song called, um, <clears throat> well, depending on who you talk to, uh, it's either called Where Did the Summer Go To or Why Ain't It Always Summer? Um, and it's, it's what really makes the song interesting is the fact that before it happens, kids are singing about how glad they are to get back to school you know, in September because they're going to see their friends and they haven't seen them for a while. And everybody's going to talk about the fact that well, what we did this summer and won't it be fun that first day of school? Yes. The first day of school always is fun. Then it gets tough. You know, <laughs> and so now there's a, why ain't it always summer after they've sung about how wonderful uh, it is to get back to school. So um, and, and this is a very charming story. And ironically enough, it has a lot in common uh, Anne, Anne has a lot in common with Annie uh, because both are orphans. Both are not expected uh, at the places they're going uh, because um, Annie, of course, when Grace Farrell comes to um, Miss Hannigan's, she wants a boy. That's what Oliver Warbucks wants. And um, well, Annie's so charming that Grace just has to take her and explain later that this is a kid worth having. And Oliver Warbucks, of course, agrees. Well, in the Anna Green Gables, it's a little more serious because what happens is that um, Matthew and Marilla, um, a, ma a longtime married couple who work a farm, need help. They need a boy to help them. But there's some sort of mix up. And as a result, a girl shows up and it's Anne. And what they, you know, instead of now having a helping hand, they have another mouth to feed, you know, and that's going to be a real problem, too. And yet she's so charming and, and winning that they just can't send her back. So uh, so it's, it, it's very interesting. That there's uh, so much um, in common there. 
So, uh, so in Green Gables, um, in, I, some may feel that it's a children's album, but of course, some may feel that about Annie too. Um, Annie as well, I should say Annie too. That's a different show entirely. But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, so anyway, Anne of Green Gables will soon be coming out, or is already out for Masterworks Broadway, and uh, you might want to take a listen. Hmm. So uh, I guess Greg Christensen says in the chat room that uh, West Side Story may be coming to Disney Plus. That's what he hears, mm. but he doesn't yeah. know that for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always have th- trouble thinking of it, of it as a Disney movie, but it sort of is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, another album I, I, I was thinking about uh, because of what Michael was saying about the, the Liza Minnelli tribute show, uh, New York, New York. Um, so funny back in 1958 there was a musical called the nervous set and it was about beatniks and um it, 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 it there was a wonderful revival that scott miller did at his new line theater in st louis some years ago and i think of all the times i've ever gone here there and everywhere to see shows that i haven't seen before i think this is the one that was the most valuable um but anyway in it there's a song now this is 1958 about Will people stop writing songs about New York? I'm so sick of these New York songs. <laughs> and little did we know the greatest one of all would be written uh, <laughs> 18 years later or around that uh, point in time, um, whatever it is. But uh, and it's still to be when people talk about the greatest Oscar disgraces, the fact that New York, New York wasn't even nominated that year is um, is just very painful to me. But uh, the nervous set uh, is a look back on uh, on beatniks. And uh, oh, I mean, if you listen to it, it's a look back on beatniks and um and it, it's it's a lot of fun when it looks at it that way. Uh, when you see that uh, col- counterculture uh, come to life on an album. Now, it's amazing it got recorded. The show lasted all of 12 performances mm-hmm. on Broadway. And yet, um, there you are. Um, it's... Um, it's also um, funny to see that Tom Aldridge was in it hmm. and uh, the costume designer was Theoni V, whatever um, uh, her, last, uh, Theone, <laughs> uh, her last name began with a V, you know, and later she would become Theona V Aldridge because she right. married Tom Aldridge, though he told me they actually knew each other before then. So but one would think that that's where they met and fell in love, but it didn't quite happen that way. <laughs> it would be a better story if they had. But what can I tell you? Tom debunked me of that notion. So <laughs> I know that uh, neither one of you watch a lot of uh, television, mm-hmm. um, but uh, something that has gotten into our zeitgeist is a, a musical um, in Canto, which uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda's uh, one of the writers in. Yes, and we don't talk about Bruno is become one of the biggest yeah, uh-huh. uh, one of the biggest stream songs on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I, I have to, uh, if you do get a chance, you should uh, uh, watch it. Maybe we can talk about it on on This Week on Broadway. I think I read somewhere that it has surpassed um, Let It Go Mm -hmm. in popularity Mm -hmm. incredibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we don't talk about Bruno. So Encanto, uh, I'll link to that in the show notes for listeners out there so you can get a start on that. You can listen to it on a lot of different places. Uh, I I linked to the West Side Story movie soundtrack from 2021 in the show notes. Uh, on Spotify, you can listen to the whole thing So or uh, get over to YouTube and you can listen to it there as well. But uh, uh, hear the excitement that uh, Michael has uh shown us here yes and actually i first heard it uh on youtube before i got the cd Mm. 
So Tony Janicki was talking about that uh, his, uh, his family um, is partially uh, – let me get this correct here because I can't remember what I read three minutes ago – Puerto Rican. Um, and that the Latino side of his family does not like West Side Story, the, mm. the, the movie, but they do like Encanto. So, ah. okay. <laughs> so uh, and I'm sorry, Rob Johnson, that I've gotten uh, the Bruno song in your ear. You know, <laughs> it, it, it is it is incredibly catchy tune. So <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. Bruno. Um, uh, uh, yesterday, I, I was looking for a cast album to play. You know, and uh, Michael, you've been here. James, you've been here. There are a mm-hmm. lot of CDs here. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, I, so I just uh, uh, Good Time Charlie caught my eye. Uh, this is a musical from uh, the mid seventies. Uh, the mm. star Joel Gray, um, though really um, most people felt that it made a mistake in not centering on Joan of Arc because. Uh, the good time Charlie we talked about uh, mentioning here is um, the Dauphin who uh, later became King Charles, who did a lot of good, but um, it might not have happened had he not had the inspiration of Joan of Arc, who of course uh, ultimately uh, was burned at the stake. Um, But anyway, I decided to play it and um, it's got music by Larry Grossman and lyrics by Hal Hackety. Uh, It's a very, very good score. And, Uh, It has one of my favorite songs of all time called Why Can't We All Be Nice, Um, which has very, very clever lyrics. But here's the thing, the funny thing, you know, the moment I finished playing it, I noticed it was six o'clock at night. And I thought, well, let me see what's on Turner Classic Movies. Usually they have a show at six o'clock, a new movie starting at six o'clock at night, an old movie starting at six o'clock at night, I should say. So I turned on and what do I see immediately? The Palace Theater with the marquee for Good Time Charlie. Wow. I saw your post about that. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 because it, it's what you see um, in Times Square when they open the movie of the Sunshine Boys, which is right. what they ran last night. Right. And I mean, it was just amazing to me that uh, of all the albums in this place, I mean, uh, literally, seriously, um, there are selections from I've kept track. 3,007 shows um, in this place. And for the, so the odds are 3,007 to one that I would pick Good Time Charlie. And then, you know, what are the odds that it would show up? Why don't I have this luck with the lottery? Why, mm. why, <laughs> why? I always hate when coincidences occur. And I, I always think of it as um, a, a chip in the, my chances of winning the lottery. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Christensen brings up that this was one of your trivia questions. Do you remember that? Oh, did I? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, we'll certainly talk about trivia uh, pretty soon. And um, which uh, which good time, Charlie? Uh, cast recording were you listening to? There's only one. Um, only yeah, one. Okay. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I will admit that I do have a um, uh, an in theater recording of a Boston performance, but. Um, I somebody gave it to me. I've never listened to it because I'm, I'm sure the sound is terrible. And uh, but in case I need it, you never know what uh, what I need. So uh, to write, so so it still lives in this house. But um, but I haven't listened. I don't know, Michael. Maybe uh, coming up in uh, April or May, we'll hear fifty four. Uh, Fifty Four Below sings "Good Time Charlie." You know, well, you know it, it seems like it, sooner or later it happened. <laughs> it may have already happened. Uh, may you know, have, may they, have. I liked when they were doing that. Um, sorry, that doesn't happen anymore. They they did have a number of concerts that were simply cast albums. Uh, you know, I don't even think there was much narration between, if any. But um, it was a lot of fun to hear um, cast albums done by new people. Um, so uh, I'd, I'd love to see that uh, resuscitated over there. Michael, what's your next album? 
Oh, my next album is Candide. I found a which uh, one? Well, yeah, the original. Yeah, that's which one? We can ask that question here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can certainly ask that question here. Yeah, I found in a in an old record shop a a uh, an original copy of the original cast recording. Uh, several interesting things about this: it was recorded in stereo, but uh, about two years before uh, uh, stereo LPs were introduced. Uh, they it's like they knew stereo was coming in. But they didn't yet have the technology, uh, you know, to have it reproduced in the home, except on reel-to-reel tape, which some people, some audiophiles, actually, I don't know if you guys both know this, but uh, back in the day, uh, some real audiophiles would have reel-to-reel tape machines mm. uh, in, in their homes because that was the only way you could get stereo, uh, mm. you know, until 1958 when they started to put it on LPs. They figured out how to how to put stereo on an LP with, you know, with the grooves and the, and the, the needle and all of that stuff. So, uh, so Candide was a really a forerunner on that. And, 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 and actually the rumor goes that um, they recorded it in stereo and then sort of forgot that they did had done so. <laughs> mm. And, and some years later uh, when stereo became the rage, someone said, let's, re- let's re-record Candide because it's, you know, it's done so well for us, uh, even though it was a flop that the, the, mm-hmm. the the record sold brilliantly well because mm-hmm. the score is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so somebody said, let's re-record it in stereo. And then some, and they were are going to, they were ready to do it. And somebody said, you know, I think we, I think we did. <laughs> and, they, and they went and looked in, you know, in the, in the crates or whatever, and they found the stereo. T- so I think that's amazing. Um, an interesting thing about this uh, is that sometimes if you, if you get mono uh, copies of old recordings, sometimes there are different takes yeah. of certain songs. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I, I listened to this the other day. I think there's only one that sounded like it, might have been a different take uh-huh. at least part and that's the song quiet uh-huh. uh, but also uh for example this is so weird at the beginning the, the the very first track after the overture at the end of the best of all possible worlds um the three of the three of the main characters dr pangloss and candide and kuniganda at one point they start singing in counterpoint and then the chorus comes in and joins them and there's a very big finish. But uh, for some strange reason, whoever mixed this uh, mono version of it, uh, uh, you hear Barbara Cook come in in counterpoint and then they, they turn her they turn her off hmm. uh, and hmm. you can't hear her singing uh, at the end of the of the number. Whereas if on the stereo, you can absolutely hear her sing throughout. So I think that was very strange that somebody did that. And who knows why uh, I didn't notice any flat notes or anything or any wrong lyrics. So I, I, I don't know what happened with that. Uh, but here's the other thing. And this is kind of a bittersweet and kind of brings a tear to my eye. I looked on the back of this album and at the top, it says saw show Saturday evening, December 28th, 1956. Or it might say 29. I can't, I can't read. Uh Uh So this person who I'm, probably guessing is probably deceased uh made that little note to themselves but get this at the bottom yeah it just says it just says monday february 4th 
1957. And I looked it up and yeah. the show closed on February 2nd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they were going to see it again and then they yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, ironically, I was um, writing about the Grammys because the Grammys would have happened this uh, uh, tomorrow night had um, all things been in place. And now they're not happening until April 3rd. But I thought about writing about the Grammys and cast albums. And uh, sometimes it's very funny the way certain things play out with cast albums. Uh, the first time that um, the Grammys were given out was 59 and therefore albums from 58 were eligible. Okay. So as a result, the music man won. Now the mm. music man opened in 57, but the album didn't get out until 58. So, mm. uh, all right. Mm. So now here's the interesting part. If the Grammys had been in existence the year before, would West Side Story have won because it opened in 57 and the album was it was open in September. So the album was out by the end of the year. OK, fine. What about Candide? Because Candide opened, as Michael said, December 1st, 1956. When did the album come out? Would indeed Candide by Leonard Bernstein be in competition with West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein? So I checked and Candide was released on. December 31st, 56. So it wouldn't have been eligible had there been Grammys in place. So anyway, so uh, West Side Story probably would have won or or maybe Cinderella would have won. You'd say, wait a minute. Cinderella was a TV show. The actual category at that time was called Best Original Cast Recording from Broadway or Television. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of fascinating things with the Grammys. Nothing is fascinating, though, to me is the fact that in 1950 for the 1959 um Recordings released in 59. Okay. What do you think won? Now, Sound of Music opened late, so it, this album wasn't out until 1960. So uh, was it Fiorello? Um, what it was, you'd say, well, obviously Gypsy, but there was a tie. So what the, could the other one be? You might say, well, it's, I guess, Redhead, because Redhead won the Tony. But here's the irony. The awards went not to Stephen Sondheim and Julie Stein, not to Albert Hague and Dorothy Fields, who had written those shows. They went to Ethel Merman and Gwen Verdon. <laughs> it was the one and only time that they did that, that they gave it to the artists. The, wow. Now, today, of course, um, if you appear in original cast album, I guess in the principal role, I don't know if, you know, if you're the third uh, chorus member from the left, if you do get a, a Grammy. But I know that, you know, we see in bios now um, he won a Grammy for and he was on a cast album. But but that was the only time that the stars actually got the recognition and not the writers themselves. Very curious. A couple of tangential things that, that I'm, I'm just remembering as we're talking. Uh, I think uh, many of us know that the, this, the melody for the song that became One Hand, One Heart mm -hmm. in West Side Story uh, was originally intended for Candide mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. apparently Bernstein was really writing both of those shows at yeah. the same time. Can you imagine? Well, what's also so sad is we're really talking about eight months. He had two shows on Broadway uh, opened. I don't mean that they were running concurrently, right. but the point is in only eight months time um that Serge Koskovsky, who was his mentor i mean mm. i i hope he is roasting in hell because he's the one who said to him don't waste your time on broadway oh what yeah doing yeah. you know <laughs> write serious music yeah. yeah tell me what serious music bernstein wrote that is yeah. nearly as popular as frankly any of the shows that got recorded right. uh, for that matter you know so uh it, it's terrible we could have had if he had not listened to that guy and really been so influenced by him so but to think that there were two of that scope in that period of time Whoa. And the other uh, the, the tangential to that that I wanted to mention is uh, maybe not as many people know that another 
uh, melody that was intended for Candide and ended up in West Side Story, believe it or not, was G. Officer Krupke. Mm, mm. Uh, I imagine it was had a very different feel when it was <laughs> when it was in Candide. And yet, on the other hand, there's a lot of craziness in Candide. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. so that melody, uh, I, I can see being somewhat in it. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and one more thing, I uh, have you guys seen this incredible video of I, I'm not sure how old it is. It's quite a few years ago of Adam Gettle talking with Stephen Sondheim uh, in his uh, Turtle Bay home about songwriting for like an hour and a half. No, so this one of those legacy project recordings. Yes, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's mm-hmm. easily uh, findable on YouTube. I, I, sh- I, I I'm sure you can find it. Uh, I watched it the other day. I was going to just watch the beginning. I couldn't turn it off. Ah. And and mm-hmm. I was reminded how incredible is this? Uh, Adam Gettle says, um, "Did did Oscar Hammerstein ever give you specific notes?" on on any of your shows i obviously before he died you know which mm-hmm. was not that many and he said yes and he mentioned a couple of things and then he said he came to uh to um i guess it was a very early west side story performance and he said and believe it or not the the song that tony and maria sang when they met on the balcony at the on the on the fire escape at the beginning was one hand one heart ah and tonight only existed in the quintet. I did know that as sung by Tony at the beginning and then Maria and Tony at the end of the quintet. And, and uh, Hammerstein said that song is all wrong. Uh, one hand, one heart is all wrong for that. It has to be much more passionate, much more uh, youthful, much, much more of a drive to it, much more excitement. Uh, you know, one hand, one heart is a beautiful song, mm. but it's so it's so contemplative. And so mm-hmm. it's there's a maturity about it and it's mm-hmm. soft and beautiful and and sweet and, and it's all wrong. So if it wasn't for Oscar Hammerstein, wow. um, that probably that change might not have been made and we would be used to one hand, one heart in that space all these wow. years. And maybe we would think it was fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I na- did in retrospect, that, it just yeah, seems like I did know that the tonight actually did have its Genesis from the quintet. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I didn't know that other part, the one hand, one heart was in it. Yes. Good to know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was, uh, uh, every time I, th- I hear uh, the, the word candide, I think of uh, this story about um, when, uh, Kristen Chenoweth had done it in some concert or something like that. It became very glitter and be gay became very popular again for young sopranos to sing. Right. Uh, and um, uh, a discussion of, of some of these kids online that were like, uh, that had no idea that, you know, it had gone back to Barbara Cook and, and the, the original production and things like that. Right. That uh, they they thought that, you know, Kristen had originated it. <laughs> and it's so <laughs> funny to, to see the different generational gaps between uh, what we see in uh, early stuff versus current stuff. Uh, and that they go through cycles and that it become it became popular again after the if the revival in the 90s and then the 2000s after Kristen did, did it in concert and also it had been the theme song for uh who was it now was it dick cavett or yeah dick cavett oh, yeah. yeah yeah for yeah. his show for all those yeah. years right <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So I found the uh, the art of songwriting with Stephen Sondheim and Adam Gettle, and mm-hmm. it's about an hour long. It's uh, from the uh, Dramatist Guild, or the uh, yeah, I think yeah. yes, that's right. Guild, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've put that in the show notes. So oh, it's amazing. You've got to watch it. It's just incredible. And Sondheim looks great. Um, does it have yeah. a date on it? Uh, let's see. Uh, mm, it was uploaded in. in uh, so. It was uploaded in 2020, but it says this was filmed in September 2009 okay. and premiered in 2011. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Uh, so, Peter, what's your next album? Well, uh, <laughs> um, I, I decided that, um, pulling out at random, and I love doing that, you know, just closing my mm-hmm. eyes and pulling out at random. So, uh, I'm about to listen to the Nonsuch recording of Lady Be Good, uh, the Gershwin show from way back when. And um, these done such recordings, I, I have to say, um, are, are not my favorite in the terms of the way they sound. Uh, the sound is a little remote, but um, but it was I, I wish they had stuck to their mission that was supposed to happen of recording every Gershwin score that hadn't been recorded. But um, needless to say, the sales weren't good enough. And these are very ornate looking recordings. I mean, they have books, you know, not with staples, but you know, <laughs> thick spines and um, and come in O cards, as they're called. Um, so so we'll see what happens when I listen to that. I haven't listened to it, I think, since uh, it came out. So um, so it now gets another chance. <laughs> uh, uh, it wasn't Adam Gettle uh, originally on Nonesuch Records. He. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting tie in there. Michael, what's your next thing? Oh, well, actually, what Peter just said is a perfect segue to what I was going to say, which is that um, in some cases, studio cast albums are the best ones uh, or, you know, or at least very good. Um, uh, One that I pulled out recently and was listening to was Brigadoon with Shirley Jones and Jack Cassidy. Uh, which was also, I guess, for years you would you would say it was definitely the best recording of that because uh, it wasn't until the John McGlynn one uh, came along, mm. uh, which was much more complete and in the modern sound and with a great cast, including uh, Rebecca Luker and and Brent Barrett. Um, that that was a really great one. Uh, but, but this one is pretty good too. And it's got, in addition to Shirley Jones and Jack Cassidy, it's got, uh, Susan Johnson, who, you know, was one of the most fabulous musical theater performers ever. Also Frank Peretta, uh, who was a, a great musical theater tenor and it's, uh, conducted by Lemon Engel. So there's that, this is one of that whole series that Lemon Engel, uh, presided over for Columbia, where they were recording scores that either had not been recorded or uh, the recordings were, uh, you know, in the 78 era and they weren't hi-fi. And so they wanted to do, do them over again. Uh, they they have a lot of other really good ones. Uh, Boys from Syracuse is another example. That was the only recording of Boys from Syracuse until the uh, that off-Broadway revival mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. 60s was a hit, mm-hmm. and then that mm-hmm. was recorded. And then there was a London version of that that was recorded. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Encores mm-hmm. uh, version, which is probably the best one overall because it restores all the original orchestrations and it's complete and it's also got a f- fabulous cast. But just wanted to really put in a shout for these um, studio cast albums, which, uh, you know, of course, they vary in quality, but some of them are really, really excellent. 
Yeah, uh, in fact, the place for Syracuse uh, Encores was the first time I ever heard the orchestration that is so obvious, and yet it's not on um, other recordings. Um, oh. In This Can't Be Love, uh, My Heart, uh, Just Hear It Beat, and you hear boom, 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 you know, <laughs> <the drum. laughs> it makes so much sense, you know, and yet uh, uh, other recordings don't have it. So, uh, so yeah, that's a very important thing. Um, <laughs> and that one and the Columbia recording also let you hear the original orchestral orchestral intro to the song Come With Me, which was basically the same uh, as Rogers used for Oklahoma, <laughs> the title song for Oklahoma. So when uh, but but as I said, uh, Boys from Syracuse opened in 38, but it wasn't uh, recorded originally. So I guess when Oklahoma came along, Rogers thought, well, you know, I can kind of use that same intro again because nobody, you know, uh, it's not recorded and nobody will remember it. Uh, and then uh, but then when they uh, came time to do the revival of Boys from Syracuse, he thought, well, I, I guess maybe I really better rewrite that, <laughs> that intro because people are going to think that they're going to start singing Oklahoma if we if we play that. <laughs> well, the reason I'm watching the movie The Night They Raided Minsky's is because Michael Dale, one of my favorite writers, um, pointed out that um, the song Greenhorn from Rags uh, actually has its genesis in that movie. Um, the Charles Strauss wrote the score for uh, the night they raided Minsky's. So I'm watching it, waiting to see if I can um, see that come up. And of course, um, it has been known for a long time that you rat you a song from uh, night they raided Minsky's turned up as something was missing in Annie. I've uh, done it <laughs> a very different tempo. Um, but uh, so I'm so that's why I'm watching that movie. Thank you, Michael Dale. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh any uh last albums you, either one of you want to bring up before we wrap up i'll talk about my last one in uh in my uh musical moment okay yeah, that's good enough for me <laughs> all right so before we wrap up i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of our by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com there that um, let me start one more time <laughs> so good <laughs> All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to uh, trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com, where there's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Spotify plays us, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Uh, transcripts for all of our episodes on Broadway Radio are available by emailing us at transcripts at broadwayradio.com and let us know the episode name that you're looking for. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can also be found in the show notes as well as some of the uh, links to some of the things that we've talked about today. I've got the the, uh, we don't talk about Bruno in case Rob Johnston wants to listen to it again. The uh, Art of Songwriting with Stephen Sondheim and Adam Gettle in there, as well as uh, some of the other things we've talked about. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? The word stubble appears in two different songs that were in two different Tony-winning scores. Each of these scores was written by one composer-lyricist. However, these two songwriters once worked together, one writing music, one writing lyrics. Who are they? What are the names of their songs? What are the musicals? And what was the one musical on which they worked? Well, Richard Rogers and Stephen Sondheim worked together once and only once in Do I Hear a Waltz. Rogers had previously won a Best Score Tony for No Strings, whose song How Sad mentions that a man has trouble, it's mostly stubble. 
Sondheim would win a Best Score Tony for Sweeney Todd, whose song Ladies and Their Sensitivities has Beetle Bamford telling Judge Turpin that there's stubble upon your cheek. Tony Janicki really wiped the floor with Paul Witte this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, although they were both first and second to answer, Tony answered three hours and 57 minutes before Paul. Now, Paul's excuse was that he was watching a basketball game. <laughs> By the way, the team he was rooting for lost. Now, if that team's loss isn't God's way of saying that he should have paid a tr attention to trivia first. I don't know what is, but anyway. All right. Josh Israel was third, followed by Warren Jones, John Baccarella, Brigadude, Deb Popple, Isaac Blevins, and Mike Meany. This week's question. Shirley Booth was the first person in the 20th century to have won an Oscar and then was heard on an original cast album. She won the Academy Award in 1953 for her 1952 performance in Come Back Little Sheba and then appeared in and on by the Beautiful Sea the following year. So who was the first person in the 21st century to have won an Oscar and was then heard on an original cast album? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moments? Well, our opening music was Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul uh, from sure. the Rocky Horror mm. Picture Show. Uh, and that was chosen because of the death of Meatloaf, uh, born uh, uh, Michael Lee Aday. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, it says Michael Lee Aday, born Marvin Lee Aday. Yeah, he was born oh. Marvin. Then he changed it to Michael. Oh, and then see. he changed it to Meatloaf. And apparently Meatloaf was because that was a, um, a nickname when he was a kid. And I guess he adopted it as a uh, sort of a, um, you know, how sometimes people, mm -hmm. if something is <laughs> said to make fun of you, mm -hmm. uh, but people adopt it as sort of a way of neutralizing that and making mm -hmm. it a positive. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know all that for a fact, but I assume that's what he did. Uh, anyway, and then he, he died. Uh, he just died a couple of days ago, and he has a, a, a scant musical theater resume, but very interesting. He was in the original production of Hair. Uh, as a replacement mm -hmm. in three roles, General Grant, Mother and Young Recruit. Uh, then he was in the first Broadway production of the Rocky Horror Show, the one that ran less than a month mm -hmm. at the Blasco, uh, in which he played Eddie and Dr. Scott. Uh, of course, uh, just a few years later, he would film, he would be starring the film uh, version of it called the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And in that case, he only played Eddie uh, and he said he thought that the uh, that the story uh, suffered because he he wasn't double cast. So I, I mean, uh, of course, he I guess he would say that, but but, but uh, that's that's what he said. Um, and so since there was no cast album of the original Broadway production, uh, we are using the soundtrack recording of Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul, as our, our musical. Uh, music at the beginning of the show today. And then, um, and then uh, Mr. Loaf was in Rockabye <laughs> Hamlet, which uh, 
ran even less, uh, even shorter, February 17th through 21st, 1976. I was um, there on February 16th, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It says the per- first preview was January 26th. Mm-hmm. And but listen to this cast, Larry Marshall, Christopher Chadman, Beverly D'Angelo, uh, mm-hmm. Win- Winston DeWitt Helmsley, Lieta Lie- mm-hmm. Galloway. Uh, uh, well, those are, I guess, the big ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And then and then Mr. Loaf himself. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, did How was it, Peter? Well, you know, <laughs> the, the real crux of the matter, as far as I'm concerned, is a guy with champion directed and choreographed. And in his bio, what he said was um, that the last line of his bio, after he talked about Hello, Dolly, and I do, I do, and what have you, he brought up the point, he says, what he's trying to do here is the synthesis between the rock concert and the musical. And on that level, I thought he was tremendously successful. That's exactly what much more successful at doing that than Six is, which is much more rock concert than music. But it really was a 50-50 proposition, the way Gawa Champion staged it. Um, but the sh- material was terrible. Oh, by the way, I'm looking up. This is amazing. Guess who was the standby for Hamlet and Laertes in that Ooh. production? Philip Kasnoff. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That must have been one of his first things. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we we did want to uh, remember me. Oh, and, and the other thing just to mention about Meatloaf is, of course, he was heavily involved in Bat Out of Hell, mm. uh, which is one of the best-selling recordings of all time and was originally conceived as a musical and only uh, wound up being staged many years later. I saw that Mm -hmm. that touring production that came to City City Center Center, in 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a mess, but it it definitely had its moments. And you could see how it could be a really interesting musical if somebody... Maybe if they had a dramaturg involved and somebody who knew what they were doing. Anyway, uh, so that's our opening music. And uh, for our closer, I wanted to use uh, something of a rarity. This is Sammy Davis's recording of the Ballad of Mac the Knife um, from a 1963 film version of the Three Penny Opera. But to make a long story short, this was originally a German film uh, with, you know, in German and sung in German and spoken in German. And then uh, apparently there was a, a, an American version of it created completely redubbed in English and with some new scenes, uh, including all of Sammy Davis's uh, scenes uh, that were added for the American version. Uh, and, uh, uh, the singing voice of, well, of Mac, of Mac the Knife, because <laughs> because uh, Sammy Davis's junior's role, of course, is not Mac the Knife, even though he sings the ballad of Mac the Knife. It's mm-hmm. the street singer. Mm-hmm. But Mac the Knife uh, was played by Kurt Jurgens, uh, But the singing voice in the American version was George S. Irving. My. And uh, the singing voice of Jenny is Martha Schlama. Uh-huh. And the singing voice of Polly is Joe Wilder. These are all credited on the album, which is kind of unusual, but also uncredited. Apparently, the singing voice of, I think, Mrs. Peachum was Jane Cannell. Ah. Uh, so this is quite a, a, a rarity of a recording, but I, I found a copy of it on, on it 
uh, uh, an LP copy of it. And uh, apparently I'm, I was lucky in finding a stereo copy, which is very rare. Uh, for some reason, they're, they're all tend to be in mono. But um, so I thought we would end with Sammy Davis's recording of Mac the Knife, which uh, is uh, the, the, the one really interesting thing about this is that the musical director uh, was the same musical director for the uh, for the epic making off-Broadway production mm. that opened in uh, 54. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's going to sound a lot like that. And as I think, uh, I think maybe it was Carol Lockhart pointed out online, this is the only stereo recording of the uh, Mark Blitzstein version. Uh, so that makes it very significant. And someone else pointed out, by the way, parenthetically, wouldn't this make a great subject for a remake of a movie like that really stuck to the um mm-hmm. you know to the mm-hmm. original and yeah, yeah. and and you know whether they use the blitzstein version or not but but mm-hmm. that would be great if they did that I, there's something so timeless unfortunately about the whole story of corruption and people only out sure, for themselves sure, and sure. and and all of that so i think that that a smart person you know maybe bradley cooper or or uh, <laughs> Uh, or uh, uh, Steven Spielberg uh, should look at that and think that maybe this would make a really great remake of a movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 With his teeth, dear, scarlet billows. Start to spread Fancy gloves Though Where's McHeath dear So there's not A trace of red On the sidewalk Sunday morning Lies a body Oozing life Someone sneaking Around the corner Is that someone Mac the knife From a tugboat By the river A cement bag's Dropping down The cement's just For the weight, dear That you Mackie's Back in town Louis Miller Disappeared, dear After drawing Out his cash And Magheath spends Like a sailor Did our boy do Something rash Sloppy Sadie Was discovered With a knife wound up her thigh And Magheath strolls down on Dock Street Looking dreamy at the sky Sugi Tawdry, Jenny Diver Polly Peachum, Lucy Brown Oh, the line forms on the right, dear Now that Maggie's back in town There was rape down by the harbor 
Little Susie caused a stir, claiming that she'd been assaulted. Wonder what got into her? Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has McHeath here, and he keeps it out of sight. Just a jackknife has McHeath here, and he keeps it out of sight. 